Hi, everyone. Susie O here. Just want to let all of you know that the certificates of deposit at Alliant Credit Union are now at, for a six-month CD, 5%, a 12- to 17-month CD, 5.15%, and an 18- to 23-month CD, 4.90%. And for those amounts of $75,000 or more, just add on 0.5% to those rates. Go to myalliant.com and check it out. Hi, I'm Sarah Puel, co-host of Susie Orman's Women and Money. As we get ready for season two of our podcast, we wanted to share some of the best episodes from season one. We hope you enjoy listening. Today, I want to talk to you about something that's absolutely aggravating me. Maybe you can identify with it, maybe not, but I have a feeling that a lot of you are doing the exact thing that aggravates me. And it's about this. I have a niece, and I have a niece that's maybe one of the smartest women I've ever met in my life. And she has a child. And forever, forever, I've been talking to her about when you have a child, you have got to have a will. You have got to have a living revocable trust. You have got to have an advanced directive and a durable power of attorney for health care. You have got to have what I call the must-have documents. It's one thing not to have them when you don't have children. Okay, that's stupid enough. But when you have children, and she's saying, Aunt Susie, I'm just so tired. You know, it's hard to be a mom. And it's like, but Katie, you have all the tools. I've given you everything. You can do it right there while you're holding the baby. I have an online program. You can do it so easily. Are you kidding me? She says, okay, I'll do it. And then I talked to her a week later. And she hasn't done it yet. Women, I want you to listen to me. If there is one thing that every single one of you has to do for yourselves, whether you are married, whether you are single, whether you are in relationship, whether you are with children, without children, young children, old children, with parents, without parents, I don't care. Every single one of you, regardless of your situation, rich, poor, you need what I call the four must-have documents I don't care if you don't want them. Do not be stupid. Not on my watch. You have come to this podcast, Women and Money, so that you can get intelligent about your money. And yet, you don't take the one step that is the most important step to secure your present day as well as your future. And again, that's simply by creating the must-have documents. First, A will. A will is simply a document that says where your assets are to go upon your death. However, it does it in the most ineffective cost way possible. Let me give you an example. You're in the state of California and you own a home worth $200,000. Good luck because everything in California can't even find a garage for $200,000. But let's just say you have a house for $200,000 and you have a $180,000 mortgage on it. And let's also just say that your daughter lives with you and it is your desire that upon your death, 
your daughter, who really doesn't have any money, she gets this house and she's allowed to be able to continue to live there. All right. And you create a will that says upon your death, it is to go to your daughter. And now you die. How does your daughter get the house? The will first has to be taken down to probate court. In fact, if you don't take it down, a lawyer will take it down. And when you take it down, or the lawyer takes it down, I should say, to probate court, there are fees, $1,000 here, $500 there, and so on and so forth, just to simply open up probate. Why does it have to go to probate court? Because a judge first has to validate that your will is authentic, that you really did want to leave your house to your daughter. Once the judge validates your will, now the judge has to do something else. The deed to your house is in your name. You are no longer alive to sign over the deed to your daughter. So the judge has to sign your name for you on the deed to transfer it to your daughter. In the state of California, that will take probably one to two years to do. That's number one. Number two, it will cost you mandatory fees in the state of California approximately $19,200 in probate fees, even though you only had $20,000 of equity in that house, it's going to cost you $19,200, not only for the lawyer's fees, but for the executor's fees as well, because every will has an executor, the person who takes care of everything for you. What happens if your daughter doesn't have the $19,200 in fees to pay the lawyer? They have the right to sell that house to get the fees. Is that really what you want for your children? What could you have done? What you could have done is this. You could have created a living revocable trust. Living, you do it while you're alive. Revocable, you can change it anytime you want. Trust is the name of the document. You simply transfer the title of your house right now into the title of the trust. Held for your benefit while you're alive, your daughter's benefit after you have died. It's going to cost you maybe $25, $50 to change the title from your individual name into the title of the trust. But upon your death, your daughter will get that house in approximately two weeks, and maybe it will cost you $800 in transfer fees. That's why you want a living revocable trust. But it's not just about you want to leave a house to your daughter. Moms, listen to me. Your children, if they are minors, they cannot inherit money. So the reason that this has aggravated me so with my niece is she owns a home. There's equity in the home. She has a nice account. She has a retirement account. She has all of this money. She has insurance policies that she's taken out. If she and her husband are killed in a car crash together, what's going to happen to all of that money? It can't go down to their little baby. The baby's eight weeks old. What is a baby going to do with that kind of money? 
Minors cannot legally inherit money. So what will happen? It will go into a blocked account, and that child will not be able to get it until they're 18 years of age unless there is a court order saying they can have that money. And no judge is going to say, yep, they can have that money because they're eight weeks old. So are you understanding you need something in place that in case something happens to you moms with minor kids, that it could go into the trust. And when it goes into the trust, you have already appointed somebody to be the trustee over that money to make sure that your kids are okay and that you've already instructed them if you want to, how you want it invested, when they should get it, whatever it may be. But it's not just about leaving money to your kids. Let's say you don't have any kids or you don't care about your kids or whatever it may be. Here's the question, women. You know and I know that actually speaking, we live longer than men. I will forever think that we are killing them off. But that is besides the point. My dad died when he was 71. That was in 1981. My mom lived, and at the time, she was 66 years of age, by the way, younger than I am, and she lived until she was 97 years of age. I've told you that before, but I'm going to tell you that again, because here's the thing. As she got older, she started to get very, very confused. She kept asking me, why does somebody by the name of Social Security keep sending me money every single month? Now, imagine that. My mom was a legal secretary. She was one smart cookie. So here's the question for all of you. If you get older and you are all on your own, and it's not if, hopefully it's when. When you get older and you're all on your own, who's going to write your checks for you? Who's going to pay your bills for you if something goes wrong? If you get sick, you have a stroke, you're in an accident. Who's going to do that? A will isn't going to help you. A will just says where your assets are to go upon your death. But what if you're not dead? So a living revocable trust that has an incapacity clause in it, how fabulous is that? That means what? That the day that you become incapacitated, you have already said who is to step in to take care of you. But now there's another reason why you want a living revocable trust. Forget about getting older for a second. You're young out there and you own a house with your spouse. And it takes both of your incomes to keep that mortgage going. You're thriving. Everything's going great. And all of a sudden you're in an accident. And your spouse is seriously injured. They don't recognize you. They don't recognize anybody. Again, they haven't died. So Will isn't going to help you. And now you need to sell the house because you don't have both incomes coming in to do so. To keep it, can you sell the house? Well, sure, you can sell it. But first, you're going to have to go through a serious procedure, again, down at probate court, where you get a conservatorship assigned to your spouse. Why? 
Because when you go to sell a house that is in both of your names, it takes both signatures to sell the house. If your spouse is incapacitated, they cannot sign. So again, you have to get a conservatorship. Oh, in the state of California, that will cost you $5,000. What could you have done? Again, you could have created a living revocable trust with an incapacity clause that says you can sign for them, they can sign for you, and everything is great. You also need an advanced directive and durable power of attorney for health care. What are they? In advance of you getting sick, you give a directive to your doctors. Do you want to be in life support? Do you want this? Do you want that? And somebody has to be appointed to carry out your wishes. That is called your durable power of attorney for health care. Who's going to make those decisions for you if you can't make them yourselves? So do you understand what I'm talking about here? These are documents that every single one of you need. Now, a lot of you are going to say, but Susie, I hear that these documents cost about $2,500. Susie, I don't have an idea where I can get these documents or where, uh, how do I even go about it? And you're like, I don't know what to do. Again, at the end of today's podcast, I will be giving you a do it moment where you will have a few moments when you're listening to this podcast to get These must-have documents at a price that every single one of you can afford. All right, Sarah, here we go. Now, I know you have your must-have documents, don't you? Of course I have my must-have documents, Susie. I did it through the program that you have, and it could not have been simpler. It told me everything I needed to do. I could stop anytime I wanted and save it and then come back in when I needed to finish it. You know, it's amazing how many moms out there that have kids They love these kids more than life itself, but guess what? They do not have these documents. So it's they're so important, it's not even funny. Now, just out of curiosity, because I know people are writing in questions, did you get questions on this topic? Yes, Susie, we have a lot of questions. One of them is a little bit on the emotional side, comes from Elizabeth. She says her parents are in her 70s and they don't have any of the must-have documents. She wants advice on how to convince them to get them done. Chances are mommy wants to do it and daddy does not. I have found again over all the years that for some reason men have a very hard time facing their mortality. And the women know that they're going to live longer than their male counterparts. So it's very, very important that these get done. And you should sit down with mommy and say, mom, You know, and I know that you need this because here's the question, mom, if something happens to daddy, who's going to pay the bills for you? Who's going to pay your checks for you? If you have a stroke or you become incapacitated, please, mommy, I need you to do this for me. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. And I'll show you how easy it is. And moms usually will sit down and they will do it. You know, everybody, it's not an if you're going to die, it's a when. And the biggest heartbreak that I've ever faced throughout all the years I've been doing this is when a woman came into my office and she threw at me, not that she was mad at me, but on my desk, 
all these pictures of her husband with the kids ripped up. She said, I just want to show you what my kids did when they found out that their father left me in the situation that he left me in without any of these documents and everything we have to go through now. And they are so mad at him. They went through the entire house and ripped off every picture that had his picture in it. There are emotional ramifications after you have gone. If you don't take care of those that you love, please don't put them in that position. But when you're working with parents, you know, it's difficult. You have to go slowly with them. What else you have for me? All right. Next question is from Ella. She wants to know why she needs a will and a living revocable trust. Yeah, because one would think that if you had a trust that said where all your stuff is to go, then why do you need a will as well? A will is for those assets that you have that don't have a title to it, little things that you haven't even named in the trust. So the will will govern everything that you didn't put into the trust, such as maybe a few of your little items, your little bowls, or your this, or your that, that really have no value or meaning to anybody, but you know you want somebody to have your T-shirts, You want somebody to have your shoes, whatever, little things like that. Most of the things that you have in a living revocable trust are things that have a title on it. Your bank account is entitled. You know, you have your title, your name on it, your, um, you know, your house, your all those kinds of things that have a title to it. So those things are governed by the trust. And the things that don't have a title on it or things that even do have a title on it, but you forgot to put into the title of the trust, that's governed by the will. Did that make sense to you, Sarah? Yes, Susie, that makes sense. But when I put the bank account in my living revocable trust, here's what I need to know. Do I have to change something at the bank or am I all set? Yeah, you have to go and make sure that the title on your bank account is Sarah Puel, trustee for the Sarah Puel Living Revocable Trust, dated whenever you created your trust. So every title has to be changed. The only thing that cannot be changed is what your retirement accounts. An IRA stands for individual retirement account. It can't be held in trust. And again, if you are married... Always your spouse is the primary beneficiary of any retirement account and the secondary beneficiary is or the contingent beneficiary is the trust. So you have to change the deed from your individual name into the title of the trust. So you have to transfer the deed. That'll cost you $25 into the title of the trust. That's called funding the trust. You all have to do that. You betcha. Did you not do that, Sarah? No, 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 Susie. We did, but I wanted to make sure everybody understood that's listening, that they need to go and do things after it. It's not enough just to enter the information into the online program. Right. And later on, when I tell you how to get these documents, then what happens is the funding documents and instructions also are printed out so that you can do this on your own. But if you do not change the title, to your assets, they will not be in the trust and therefore they will not be governed by the trust. And then you have what's called an empty trust. And then it's not worth the paper that it's written on because there's nothing in it for it to govern. So the next question comes from Isabel along the same lines. And she says, if I get a trust, do I need to file a separate tax return? No, you do not. 
and especially when it's a revocable living trust. There are all kinds of trusts, everybody. An irrevocable trust is one that you can never, ever change, and it is its own entity. That is not what we are talking about here. We are talking about a revocable, meaning you can change it any time that you want, a revocable living trust, living, you do it while it's alive, and trust is the name of the document. No, you do not have to file a new tax return because it's the same as you. It is you. So you just file your normal tax return. All right, Susie. So the next question comes from Allison. So we know that you should not make the trust the primary beneficiary of retirement accounts. We touched on that a few minutes ago. But can you explain this again? Why shouldn't you make the trust the primary beneficiary? It doesn't make sense. If you're married, yes. When you are married and your spouse dies, you have the legal authority to take over his or her retirement account as if they are your own. So you now, their retirement account becomes your retirement account in your name. You can only do that if you are a spouse. You can't do that if you're a child, if you're a brother, you're a sister, only a spouse. A trust is not a spouse. So you lose that right to do that if you name the primary beneficiary, if you're married, as the living revocable trust. So you never want to name the primary beneficiary, the trust. You always want it to be your spouse. But then if your spouse dies, you want the contingent to be the trust because then everybody does have to take the money out of the retirement account over a specific number of years, usually around five years. That money has got to come out of your retirement account. Not true if you are a spouse that takes it over. Okay, now let's go to Olivia. Olivia wants you to go over in detail why the probate procedure is so long. She's been in probate for over 18 months and is spending thousands and thousands of dollars. I know, Sarah, it's just ridiculous. But let me just give you an example of why probate is virtually impossible to do within a short period of time. First, it's going to take you at least two weeks to obtain a death certificate. Then once you file for probate, which costs you a few thousand dollars, you must publish a notice of death in the paper for another three consecutive weeks. Your petition must be heard in court, and the court calendar may require you to wait more than two months just to get a date. Once you are appointed as the personal representative... You have to allow four months to pass after that time for creditors to file claims. Then the probate referee has to value the property. You have no control over how long that's going to take. Then you must file an inventory and an appraisement. Once everything is done, then you must file a final petition, which again has to be heard by the court. Again, you may wait some months just to get a court date. And if there are any errors, which often happens, you have this tremendous delay and you have to resubmit everything. So really, it is impossible to do it in a short period of time. So one or two years, I have to tell you, is more accurate. So do you understand how complicated it is? It's not just like when you have a trust, it's done. Two weeks later, everything's yours. There are all these rules and regulation, which is why I always say, if all you have is a will, you are going to pay. So the less money you have, everybody, the more you need a living revocable trust.
listen, Susie, the other piece of that, and you've talked about this a lot, is typically when people are going through probate, it's at a highly emotional time. It makes it more complicated, but a lot of people who are going through probate, they need to be able to sell the house. They need to get access to that money. They need to not have to spend any money to do all this because they don't have any money. And there are all these things that you have to do and time spent. And really, who has a year or two to do all that? So these things are important, but we don't like to think about it. More questions, girlfriend. All right, Susie, this next one comes from Janice. And she says, I was told in order to avoid probate, all she has to do is put her kid's name on the title of the house as joint tenants with right of survivorship. And so she did. She wants to know why she needs to trust if she's already done that. Oh, God, these are the things that make me want to throw up. This is the reason why. When you put your kids' names on your home as joint tenancy with right of survivorship, that means they own the house with you. And while it is true that if you die, it automatically goes to them without probate, here's the problem. One of the kids, or both of your kids, maybe they're in the same car at the same time, are in a very serious accident where they hurt somebody or kill somebody. Because their names are on the title of your house, it's of legal record. The court has that information. Do you not think that an ambulance chaser lawyer or any legit lawyer for that matter isn't going to find out that your kids have a home, and they're going to attach that home. They're going to sue them. They're going to sue them for every single penny that they have. And therefore, it is possible and it is probable that you could lose the home that you are living in. Really, people, simply because you wanted to avoid having to do what's known as a living revocable trust, So sure, you get to bypass probate, you get to risk your future, and it does absolutely nothing for you in case you get in a fight with one of those kids, one of you becomes incapacitated, you need to sell the house, you need all four signatures on that house, what if one of the kids doesn't want to sign? Are you kidding me? Do not be an idiot and do that. It's just the stupidest thing you could ever do. Sorry, but it is, Sarah, and I don't mean to give them a Susie slapdown, but when people try to do shortcuts simply to avoid a few little dollars to create what they need to do, they're going to possibly end up in serious financial trouble. I mean, let's be honest, Susie, infighting amongst families is not uncommon. And if you need to sell your house for any reason and you need the signatures of your children and you're not talking to them, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, and do you know that over 51% of the people in the United States only have $1,000 in savings? And so their only asset may be the money that is in their house. And you really want to risk that money? That's what you really want to do, simply to avoid the time that it takes to create a living, revocable trust? Okay, Susie, listen, I know the answer, but I just want to make sure everyone hears from Maggie. She says, I don't own a home. I can't afford to own a home. I'm not going to be buying a home. So why are you telling me I need a trust at all? Maggie, you need a trust because things happen in life. You can have a stroke. You can have an accident. You can be caught in so many different things where all of a sudden you have, you know, a catastrophic illness. 
and you're not able to pay your bills, you're not able to write checks, you're not able to take care of yourself. The great thing about a living revocable trust when it's a good trust, it has an incapacity clause in it that you designate before you can't do it yourself, who will write checks for you, who will be your successor trustee, who will take care of you when you need taking care of. Also, you didn't say if you had kids, you didn't say anything like that. If you have children, remember, I'm going to repeat this again and again, if those kids are minors, they cannot inherit money So therefore, if you have an insurance policy and you want to leave it to your kids and their minors, you're not going to be able to. So a trust is seriously important, whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you have a lot of money, whether you have a little money, whether you are with kids, whether you are without kids, it is just very, very important. Okay, Susie, it's time to take our caller. And since this is somebody that you know and you've had a very long conversation about um, our topic today, I'll let you just take it away from here. Yeah, okay. So, everybody, I want you to listen to me. We had a different caller scheduled for this segment because obviously there are a lot of people who don't have the must have documents, they have questions about it. So, originally, we had scheduled a caller who had questions about the must have documents and her problems with it. And then the other night I was out to dinner with some dear friends. And one of my friends said to me, Susie, this has been the worst year of my life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This person is always happy. This person really has this love of life and love of curiosity and love of food and love of everything. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing my friend say that this was the worst year of her life. And then I go, what's wrong? What happened? And she tells me what went on. And when I heard her story, it made me realize that what all of you need to hear, in my opinion, aren't more questions about the must-have documents, aren't more things about why you haven't done that which you know you should have done anyway, but it's what happens to somebody when somebody they love hasn't done what they were asked to do, which is to fill out the must-have documents. So I want to take this time to introduce all of you to my dear friend, Sharon, whose mother-in-law is going through dementia and what has happened in her life because her mother-in-law did not fill out a will, a living revocable trust, an advanced directive, a durable power attorney for health care, as well as a financial power of attorney, which is probably the most important thing she should have filled out. So Sharon, welcome to the Women in Money podcast. And girlfriend, tell everybody why this has been the worst year of your life. Well, Susie, first of all, I want to thank you for the great message that you have, and I just wish that everyone would listen to you, and I wish that my mother-in-law had listened to you. We had begged her and her husband of 14 years to get all the documentation in order that they needed that would help us take care of them as they aged or became ill. And after about two years, they had relocated to our area. After about two years, My mother-in-law was diagnosed with dementia, and it was progressing kind of quickly, so we kept nudging them and asking them about the documents. Last year, 
in the spring, her husband met with us and said that the illness was just too much for him and he couldn't take it anymore and that he was going to move out of state and relocate. And he moved away and we've not heard from him since he moved. And of course, we discovered that not only did they not have any of those important documents, but they had a lot of unpaid bills and they had not filed their taxes for three years. So we spent a lot of money, over $2,000 in legal fees to just try to get the documentation in order that we needed to try to track down her assets so that we could try to protect her financially. You know, I've read a lot on the internet and I've bought a lot of books and I've gone to websites and I've read blogs, but none of those things really tell you what you need to do to protect someone's assets when they become unable to take care of themselves. And it was so hard and so challenging with every phone call, unless they have the proper documentation in their computer system, they won't even talk to you. So it took numerous calls to every financial institution, banks, credit cards, um, annuities, to just try to get the documentation even on file because they just don't want to talk to you. And it's understandable because they're trying to protect that person's assets. But that's exactly what I was trying to do, too. And it was so hard. It, it has taken over a year to just figure out what her assets are and who to contact and what kind of paperwork they need and where to send it. And it's just so frustrating because you're so sad seeing the decline of this person that you love. And then and it's so sad and frustrating and extremely stressful to try to just take care of their financial assets because you know you're going to need that money to help care for them. I think I've shared with you that my, my nephew is 31 years old, and he's an administrator over an assisted living facility. And even at 31 years of age, he's told me how important it is to have long-term life insurance because even a young person can be in an unexpected accident or they can come down with an unexpected uh, illness. And once you have a pre-existing condition, you can't qualify for long-term care. And fortunately for us, my mother-in-law did have long-term care insurance, but she had not made a payment, but we were able to learn about that missed payment and pay it. We put ourselves down as contacts so that in the event she missed a payment, we could make sure that she had coverage. And that's so important, Susie, because just her facility alone each month is over $5,000. And without that insurance, I mean, that's so costly. Yeah, you know, Sharon, when it comes to the elderly, there's so many things that obviously you need to think about. Even in my own mother's situation, it cost me, you know, seven to 10 to 20,000. It started out at 7,000 a month. And by the time it was over, I was paying 20 or $30,000 a month for my mom's care because she refused to get long-term care insurance because she said to me, Susie, I'll never need it. Two and a half million dollars later, how much do I wish she had gotten that? Because that was my money that I paid. Now, I was glad to be able to pay it because I loved my mama very much. But And thank God I could afford it. But the point that Sharon is trying to make, and you can hear it in her voice, you can still hear the sadness, Sharon, in your voice, is that there are things you can do today to protect your tomorrows. And while many of you may not be able to afford long-term care insurance, and that may be some time off, what you can afford is to absolutely do the must-have documents. You can absolutely afford to do it. And 
again at the end of this podcast. I'm going to tell you how you can afford to do it and where to get them. But it's important that you all understand that things can go wrong. So if you were going to end this interview with one advice to everybody who is listening, whether they are 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, or 100 years of age or older, you never know out there, what would you say to them, Sharon? Get your documents in order. Have open communications with your family so that they know all about your important financial assets so that they know how to access them in the event that you're not able to do it for yourself so that someone can care for you and to do it for your family. If you love your family, take this burden off of them. It is just overwhelming the amount of work and the stress and the hardship. I have a lot of commitments with my my family, my job. It's a lot. It's so much to take on in addition to just trying to care for them. If you really love someone, you'll make it easier for them to care for you. I just want to thank you. You know, I love you very, very much. And, um, you know, I wanted you to come on the Women in Money podcast for the exact reason that you just did. So from my heart to yours, girlfriend, I thank you. Well, I thank you, too. And keep spreading the message so that people know what they need to do. You got it. I will. All right, Susie, it's time to get to our do it moment. So what do you have for us this week? Throughout this entire podcast today, we have been talking about the must-have documents. Again, I call them that because you must have them. But many of you are in a situation, as we said before, that you don't know where to get these must-have documents. You don't have $2,500 to pay for the must-have documents. And so, therefore, you do nothing. You have also heard throughout this program that many people are using a program that I have created. Now, I just want to tell you a little bit about this program. This program is good in all 50 states. Internet access, obviously, is required. It is good on PCs. It is good on Macs. It is mobile-friendly. You can start it on your computer, continue it on your iPhone or smartphone, then go to your iPad or a pad. You can interchange it. You can do anything that you want. These documents were created by my own trust lawyer. These are my documents. If you looked at my will, my trust, and so forth, they would be worded exactly like these documents that you hopefully will be using are worded as well. Maybe my assets are different, but that's about it. All you have to do is answer a few questions that we ask you. After you have answered a few questions, up will come the documents for you in your particular situation. This is not a one-size-fits-all. Your trust will be different if you are married versus if you are single. Different if you have children versus if you have no children. Different if you have a blended family. After that, you will pick the documents and just simply answer a few more questions. It will take you 30 minutes to one hour to complete all Four, you can't just select I want a will or this. You have got to do all four again because you need all four. After you have populated the answers to the questions I ask you, then up comes the working document. You turn on the sound on your computer or on your iPhone and you will hear Janet, the trust lawyer, take you through line by line what 
these documents mean. If as you're going through it, you see that you want to make a change to somebody you left money to or whatever it may be, you simply click on that person's name, you change it, and then we automatically repopulate all the documents for you. After you have gone through the documents, you print them out. When you print them out, the directions come printed out with them to show you where to have it notarized, where to have it witnessed, everything that you need to know. The funding documents, as we explained earlier in the podcast, also are printed out so that you can literally fund your trust to make it a legal trust. Now, here's the great part about it. After you have done these documents, you put them away in a safe place. A year or two from now, you change your mind. You can come back and redo the documents any single time that you want. An even better thing about these documents is that if you get confused for whatever reason as you're working on them, there's a little help button that you push. Another great thing about this program is that every time... You use it or we have an update. It's never going to cost you a penny. You also have our permission to share the activation code that you will get with this program if you decide to purchase it with as many people as you want. So it just takes one of you to purchase it. And then if you want, you can give it to your mother, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, so that all of them can have $2,500 worth of -of state-of-the-art documents as well. This is all you have to do. In the description of this week's podcast, there is a hyperlink that you just click on and it will take you to the purchasing site. If you can't find the hyperlink, just send us an email to AskSusie, that's S-U-Z-E, AskSusiePodcast at gmail.com. And we will send you the hyperlink directly to your email address. Now, you will see that the price of these documents for you and you only, because you're coming through my podcast, is $69. Listen, ladies, I totally get it. When you didn't know which lawyer to go to, you didn't have $2,500 to do these must-have documents. Maybe you didn't even know that you should do these must-have documents. But now you know why you need these must-have documents, and every single one of you needs to do this now. So you don't have any excuses anymore. I made this program available to all of you at a price that I'm sure all of you somehow can afford one way or the other, especially knowing that you can share it with your loved ones. You can come back over and over and over again. And so you just don't have those excuses anymore. If you want to be the powerful women that I know you want to be, then you have to take the steps today to protect yourself your loved ones, your assets, and your money. Can you just do that for yourselves, and can you just do it now? Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. 
Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.